In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I have some questions from you, so let me start by answering these questions, and then we will give a short spiritual uh, topic. How do you choose the right occupation? if you don't have a passion for anything specific. I think while you are thinking about occupation, you you need to differentiate between career and hobby. Uh, Hobby, for example, you like sports, you like music, but some of the hobbies cannot make a good career. But a career means a job or occupation that you like and in the same time actually can provide good pay in order to be able to support a family and to live comfortably. So you will have time to come to the church to worship. You will not be working day and night just to provide for your family. So. Try to see what you like, for example, do you like math more, do you like science more, what what do you like more? This actually can help you to choose a, a career. At the end, if you are neutral for everything, for example, math and science and Uh, law, everything, social studies are equal for you, you can actually uh, choose anything, actually, you'll be successful in it, and do your part in in studying, and uh, start planning for a good and and successful career. Uh, That's actually, uh, and also with prayer, God will pave your way, will enlighten your way, and asking people who are experienced in this field. For example, if you decide to study accounting, or for example, if you study engineering, go and ask some people who are good engineers or good accountants about the challenges of this career, the challenges of the study. So you will make informed decision. Your decision will be based on good information. You get it from experienced people. Second question. If one of the attributes of God is that he is omniscient or all-knowing, how can we say that he forgets our sins? Uh, You need actually to understand that some words in the Bible were written in a way for us to understand it. But it is impossible for any language to uh, express the attributes of God in the right way. For example, the word forget. Definitely God does not forget. But what the Bible meant God will forget our sins, means he will not hold us accountable to it. He forgives and he forgets. 
he will not remind us with it as if it's completely not there for example if one of your friends hurt you and then he came and apologized to you and you forgive him and you tell him you know what I will forget about it forget about it means you will not erase it from your memory it is still in your memory but it means that you will not remind him of this you will never ever mention it again you are not holding him accountable because of this you forgot about it that's what the Bible says uh, about when he uses the word God will forget our sins means with the forgiveness no more accountability God will never mention it to us again how does the church explain partaking in the Eucharist to those who see it as cannibalistic ritual uh, if we believe we eat Jesus body and drink his blood definitely we eat the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and we drink his blood as we read in John chapter 6 my body is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed and the Lord mentioned several times that unless you eat the body of the son of man and drink his blood uh, you have no eternal life he who eats my body and drinks my blood abide in me and I in him read and study carefully John chapter 6 very important chapter about Eucharist and also another chapter is 1st Corinthians chapter 11 1st Corinthians chapter 11 about the charge of cannibalism actually I want to tell you this charge is a very very old charge since the first century and the second century the pagans people who worshiping idol they called early church Christian cannibals because they the Christian said we eat the body of the Lord and we drink his blood this means the belief that the Eucharist is a real body and real blood is very very old since the first century it is not the invention of the church in later centuries but this charge of cannibalism is wrong because what is cannibalism cannibalism is eating the human flesh after a person has died and you you will have the body or the corpus of the person and when you eat from this body of, of the dead person the quantity of the body of the corpus will diminish because it is consumed and the digested flesh from this corpus will result in physical nourishment and also uh, provide the, the body with protein that's cannibalism but let us see what happened in Eucharist number one the person whom they will eat is dead 
But in Eucharist, Jesus was alive. Jesus was not dead. In the mystical supper, the Lord Jesus Christ was sitting among the disciples. It is a living sacrifice. And also, his substance did not diminish by consuming the Eucharist. The Lord Jesus Christ now is bodily in heaven. And when we partake of his body and partake of his blood, his substance doesn't diminish in heaven. And definitely, eating the body of the Lord uh, and drinking his blood doesn't result in physical nourishment. We don't eat it for physical nourishment, but for a spiritual union with the Lord. So this accusation is not an accurate accusation. Uh, the Lord gave us his body and his blood under the bread and wine. So what we see and what we taste is bread and wine. But in reality, it is the body of the Lord and the blood of the Lord. In a mystical way, the Lord actually changed the body and the wine, sorry, the bread and wine into his body and to into his blood. Another question, how does one assess if they are ready for marriage? And how does one assess if another person is also ready for marriage? One of the best answers, uh, if you know his grace bishop Musa, the bishop of the youth, he used actually to answer this question by saying, to be ready for marriage, you need to be mature. Mature spiritually, mature intellectually, mature socially, mature morally, mature academically, mature financially. So you need to be mature. Marriage is a big decision. Lack of maturity can cause a lot of problems. That's why when the person is mature, he is ready for marriage. But if he is mat not mature, then he cannot make uh, informed decision. And the decision of marriage can be a challenge. So that is the level of maturity. Uh, of course, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and with the guidance of your spiritual father, and with the premarital courses that you will attend before marriage. And some programs actually can assess the level of maturity between yani, in, the, in the man and in the woman. This, all of you, can, all of this can help you to know whether you are ready or not, and the other person is ready or not. St. Paul in uh, Hebrews chapter 5 actually spoke about maturity and he said the ability to discern between right and wrong between good and evil good and evil a little child doesn't have this ability to discern he want to play for example with a knife to, and he can hurt himself adolescents sometimes he is so confused and they cannot actually 
because they are going back and forth between childhood and adulthood. So they cannot discern well between right and wrong. And many times they make wrong choices. Sometimes they act like adults, but other times they act like children. That's why they can they make wrong choices. And that's why in many countries they, they set an age for marriage. You cannot marry under this age in order to make sure that the person is mature. But maturity is not only related to age. It's related to uh, how you develop perspective about life, about marriage, and about relationships. But all of this from God's eyes. God's eyes. Is it wrong to pursue courtship with one that's not externally attractive but has godly qualities? Actually, in the story of Samson, he made three mistakes in the decision of his marriage. And again, this means he was not mature when he made this decision. Number one, he based the decision of marriage only on physical attractiveness. He said to his parents, she pleases me well. She pleases me well. That's physical attractiveness. Another thing, he did not listen to the advice of his parents. They were experienced and they gave him advice but he did not listen to their advice. And the third mistake, he married one outside his faith, outside his religion. And because of these three mistakes, his marriage failed. So what are you looking for marriage? Actually, if a person has godly qualities, as you said, but externally not attractive, but she is the a daughter of God. There is nothing wrong at all, actually, to yani, marry this person. She will be a good wife, and also she will be a good mother. What are some steps I can take to help me get closer to God's will rather than my own will? Number one. You need to be willing, heartily, to sacrifice your own will. It's easy said than to be done. Many of us, at the end, although we pray, thy will be done, but we mean my will be done. In our prayers, actually, we give God a list of the things that we need. Please do this for me, please do this for me. Instead of telling, here I am, Lord, tell me what you want me to do in in my life. So, number one, you need to be very, very serious about sacrificing your will completely to the will of God. Number two, when we speak about God's will, there is a common will and a special will. Common means for each one of us. 
and special for each individual. Something specific for me personally. The Commonwealth, like you read in First Thessalonians chapter 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you to be holy. This is the will of God. God wants you to worship Him. God wants you to be in relationship with Him. God wants you to love one another. God wants you to serve others. God wants you to use your gifts to serve your brethren. That is the will of God. When actually we do the will of God, the common will of God, faithfully, when we pursue our sanctification, when we worship Him wholeheartedly, when we serve one another, when we love one another, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and start to carry the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then God will reveal to us the specific will, what God wants from you personally. But why God will reveal to you what He wants from you personally if you are ignoring the common will? If you are ignoring the common will of God, then this means you don't care about the will of God. God wants you to worship Him. But you don't go to the church to worship Him. Or you go late. God wants you to live a godly life. But you are not. All of us who are struggling to live godly life. But there is a person who actually fighting the good fight every day. Even if he falls, he rises up again. And a person actually who does not care at all to fight the good fight to live godly life. When God sees you, you are serious in fulfilling and in pursuing the common revealed will of God, then God will actually reveal to you His will. In order for the specific will, how to, how to figure it out, number one, pray and ask God to reveal His will for you. And God will reveal His will for you. Number two, develop the mind of Christ. When you read the scripture a lot, then you will develop the mind of Christ. You will know the mind of God. And then you will align your mind with His mind. You will see things from His perspective, from His eyes. So you will develop the mind of Christ. Number three, get advice from godly experienced people. And number four, use your mind. If God gives you a, a talent, then His will for you is to use this talent. Why God give you this specific talent? Because He wants you to use it. That's His will for you. For example, if you have kindness and compassion, maybe God wants you to be like a counselor. Go and listen to the people and, and counsel them. If God gives you a talent to teach, then this talent, maybe God wants you to serve as a Sunday school servant. And so on. See what's your talent that God gave you. And this talent will be related 
to the will of God in your life. How can one assess if they are near to God? How do you know a tree is alive or dead? From the fruit. That's why the Lord said every tree that bears good fruit will be pruned to bear more fruit. And every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut. In the same way, what the fruits you are carrying? Do you carry the fruit of the Holy Spirit or not? Fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. Love. Do you have this love in your life? The love that's unconditional. The love that, the love that is sacrificial. The love that is limitless. Do you have this love to or, or are you growing in this virtue? Joy. Are you joyful? In spite of all the challenges that you are facing? Whether your joy depends on external circumstances or coming from within. Peace. Do you have this peace in your heart? Are you a peacemaker? And, and so on. So, see what are the fruits in your, in your life. If you are fruitless, then you are not near to God. But if you are growing in, in these fruits, then you are near to God. Does God change his mind? We read in the story of Jonah that God relents and spares Nineveh. Does this mean God changes his mind and that it can be argued that he is not all-knowing? Or that on this story he knew they would repent? In which case it seems like a false sense of free will because God knew the outcome. There is difference between foreknowledge and directing. God foreknew they will repent, but this doesn't mean God pushed them or forced them to repent. The foreknowledge doesn't mean, as you said in your answer, that is a false free will. No. For example, a, a teacher can expect his class how they would do in, in the finance. This foreknowledge did not actually force the students to pass or to fail the finance. He has the foreknowledge, but he did not actually intervene with the, the students, their free will. Definitely there is big difference between the foreknowledge of a teacher or foreknowledge of a physician who is treating person and says, for example, this person has one month if he's a terminal case of cancer. This foreknowledge based on experience, but God, his foreknowledge based that he is all-knowing, all-knowing. So just I want to make clear, the foreknowledge of God doesn't mean there is a sense of false free will. No. We still have free will. The Ninevites have free will to repent or not to repent. 
but God foreknew it. Then what about changing his mind? You need actually, uh, when you read the scripture, sometimes you need to ask the question, this question, where is the camera? The camera in heaven or on earth? Meaning what? From which perspective this story is written? From people who are living here on earth or from heaven, God who is, whose throne is in heaven? From our perspective who are living here on earth, there is a decision that God will destroy this city after 40 days. This is a decision. Then this decision was changed and God forgave them. So from our perspective, God changed his mind after he said, I will destroy the city. Now he did not destroy the city. So if the camera here on earth, we will perceive it as God changed his mind. But if the camera from heaven, God doesn't change his mind because God foreknew that the Ninevites will repent. So the, the warning that he said with, Nineveh, with Jonah to the Ninevites, he foreknew that the people will receive this warning and they will repent so that the, the decision will not be made. So God is not surprised. That's why even about the economy of salvation. Some of us maybe think after Adam fell, the Holy Trinity start to think how to solve this problem. But St. Paul, when he spoke about the economy of salvation, many, many times he called it the mystery. The mystery. He said, the mystery that was hidden even from the foundation of the world. So even before the creation of the world, before the creation of the angels, before the creation of anything in the cosmos, God foreknew what will happen. And the economy of salvation was very, very well known. God is not reactive. God did not react to the fall of Adam by thinking, how can I solve this issue? Everything was known for him even before the foundation of the world. So, from our perspective, yes, we can see it as God changed his mind, but in reality, no, God did not change his mind because he is all knowing. How does the church view suicidal death in modern day? Before the church, before, the church did not grant funeral for suicidal death. But now understanding the correlation between mental health and suicide, has the church changed her stance? Actually, from the beginning, we differentiate if a person who committed suicide has mental illness, which means he cannot make informed decision, means he has impaired mental ability and in such situation the church prays on these people because this suicide 
did not come from a person who can make informed decision. He has mental disability. And this not recent or not new. That's very, very old in the canons of the church. But if the church knows that this person doesn't have mental illness and he committed suicide while the person knows very well what he is doing and he planned for this, the church does not pray on him. Because in 1 John chapter 5, it is written, if a person sins unto death, I say you should not pray for him. Means what? Means if there is no time for repentance. If there is no time for repentance. But at the end, his case between the hand of God. Maybe God knows something we don't know. But we are fulfilling the commandment. And not only actually, in our mind, that only a person who commits suicide without mental illness, the church does not pray. Pope Shenouda actually mentioned many examples about some situation in which the church will not pray. For example, if a drug dealer get into a fight with the police, and they were exchanging fire and he was killed so this person did not have time to repent in this situation we will not pray on him based on the commandment in 1 John chapter 5 another example that Pope Shenouda gave you know some people when a thief for example when he is trying to uh, rob a house, steal a house or something like this he maybe jump over, you know, pipes in order to enter from the window in the bathroom. I'm speaking about high-rising building. So if he fell and uh, died, the church will not pray on him. He did not have time to repent. Another example, if um, a wife cheated on her husband, and her husband, for example, returned to the house and he found his wife with another man. And he killed both of them. The church will not pray on them because they died in sin. So, any situation in which the person dies in sin and he did not have time to repent, in such situation, you know, the church will not pray for them. So it's not only suicide. And this is based on 1 John chapter 5. Glory be to God forever and ever.